hello there. I'm Ellen. I'm the pussycat half of Pea Green Boat. In this podcast, I'll be talking about the real you, the person you've always dreamed of being. And I'll also be talking about all the things that get in the way of you being that person, that stop you being that person, and what we might be able to do to change that. I'll often be chatting with my fellow coach and longtime friend Fiona Dove. Fiona is the other half of Pea Green Boat. And with lots of other fascinating people from all over the world that we've both been fortunate to meet. So join me here for our weekly chats, full of laughter and ideas, ideas that can open doors for you. So grab yourself a coffee, hop on board Pea Green Boat, and we'll have a gentle sail down the river. Hello everyone. Something different this week, a story. I grew up on the old stories of Britain, but this is one of my own, built around the old tales of the raven goddess, the goddess of death and rebirth. In some tales, she's called the washer at the ford. She's the raven goddess, as I said, and ravens are carrion eaters, the cleaners up, the cleaners up of the battlefields. The old stories have been dumbed down over the centuries and simplified into tales of fear and horror, though that is not what they truly are. They're tales of how to work with grief and with loss. Tales of composting, of clearing old flesh that's no longer needed and recycling it. The ravens take the old dead flesh and eat it, And so they put it back into the recycling cycle. The raven goddess can, if we ask her, help us to take hold of our grief and learn to love and live with it rather than rejecting it, so that it too can recycle back into the stream of life. Father, mother, friends, wife, all gone all lost to him. He had to let them go. His pride and anger had made him let them go. Now there was no purpose to his life anymore. Now she was gone. He'd driven her away. She'd gone to his friend and they'd fought and she'd run. And he knew not where. Mother, he whispered, Mother, take me home, take me back. The man sat upstream from the ford, a tussock of grass under his butt, watching a dark, shapeless thing splashing about in the water. Is that a worry cow? he muttered, watching the creature dip bloody clothes into the stream, then slap them on a rounded stone again and again and again. Perhaps it'd be a bugbear, a hobgoblin, a ghoul, he muttered, letting his glance slide away from it. But his eyes weren't having any. They slid back to watch. All draggled, the thing appeared. Long, black tatters of clothes. And it washed and washed and washed. And he watched and watched. Each time the creature rinsed the clothes in the water, They came up whiter. His brain shifted into gear. She's a binai. She's the washerwoman, he whispered. 
and at that she looked up at him, slung her long black hair over her shoulder. The face revealed was long, thin, bones glimmered under the pearly skin, ruby lips looked wet, slender figure, curved breasts, dark eyes, dark like brown peat pools out on the moor, and they held promise promise of sweetness, as the water in the moor pools did if you dared to drink of them. Memories of sweet, smoky whiskies in his father's vaults. She's she, he told himself. A woman of the fae, a woman of peace. For he'd been always brought up to know that the bean, the women of the fair, were women who gave peace even though that peace might be hard won. He remembered how his father and his mother had told him of the washwoman, and as he remembered, so she shifted her shape. He looked and saw. Now the face was gaunt, parchment over a skull. The nose had only one nostril, the other cut, so the scar grew inward to become again part of the cheek. Grey lips smiled. One long tooth protruded over the lip. She dropped the half-washed, still bloody shirt on the rock and opened her hands to him, inviting him into her arms. Webbed fingers reached up to open her tattered dress. Long, wrinkled breasts hung down. A streak of sunlight flashed out of the clouds like a spear catching the woman's eyes, and showing them now as green, not brown, but the deep, dark green of the still mountain locks. And he remembered again. If he was careful, so his father had told him, if he approached her respectfully, there might be three questions he could ask of her, and she would answer. But always there was a price, always an exchange. You never, ever got something for nothing from the she-folk, from the Bianchi. And the washerwoman was certainly one of those. Before she would answer your question, she would ask you three. And hard, tricksy questions they would be, easy to slip on, easy to answer what you did not truly mean. But whatever your answers, the washerwoman would hold you to them. There was no way of taking back the words you spoke to her. He remembered further back. His mother sat beside him, telling him of the washerwoman as he lay in his little child bed. If you are brave and wily, crafty and sly, Guileful and cunning, she told him, you can creep up on her, sneak up on her while she is washing, and there you can take and suck upon her breast as it hangs down into the water. Those who suck upon her dug like this are her foster children, who she will always love and protect. You could be one of them, if you can dare to do that thing if you can dare to suck upon her old, wrinkled breast. Could he do that? Would he dare? Did he dare?
He sighed. One day, he could see it in his future. One day, he would fight and die. He feared and mourned the future loss of his people, all of his folk. He would be glad then to die, to go home. Were those his clothes she slapped and rinsed? Would she tell him if he asked her? Did he want to know? He feared what she would ask him in return. She was a shifter. He knew that from the tales his folk told around the winter fires, and he'd seen it for himself as she shifted from a desirous woman into an ancient hag. And it was the hag's breast he must suck if he would be her foster child. She slapped and rinsed, slapped and rinsed at the shirt, not looking at him. Could he do it? Could he catch her? Could he suck her ancient dug? The waters of the ford sang bright and loud. Quietly, he shifted his butt off the tussock. The wind danced, the leaves rustled and shook, and the wind sounded them one against the other like castanets. The sounds would cover the small noises his movement made. He crept to a patch of shadow slipped out of his boots, out of his clothes, and naked as a fish, he slid into the stream. The flume floated him down to her, just as she bent again to dip the shirt into the water. Her breast hung down, floating on the mild current. His lips took hold the teat and sucked. Oh, joy! Nectar! What sweetness was this that flowed into his mouth? Straightway her arms slid round him, holding him, dragging him down under the water. Will you love me? she whispered into his ear. He clutched her, holding her as he went down, fearing that death had come early for him. Come, she said, as twined together they went deep into the pool under the bank, disturbing an ancient trout who flipped his tail and leapt out of the water to land upstream. He felt laughter shake her body against his own. And then he saw. The body he held was lithe and young, skin taut and supple, red rosebud lips smiled at him through the glassy water. His manhood took charge. He held her, kicked them out of the deeps and onto the gravel bank at the side of the stream, and there he rolled her, rolled her on her back and took her. She responded, gave back all the passion he gave to her, and they rolled and played on the gravel like mating wolves. Sated at last, she held his head in her lap, what is it that you would ask me, she said. Drowsy now, watching the golden sunlight flicker through the soft green leaves, he wondered, what was it that he would know? The pain of loss was different now. Still there, but finer, more poignant, sliding deep into his body like silver needles, that no longer tore him apart. She heard his question in her own heart. No, she said, you will never lose that pain. 
If you lost it, then along with it would go the memory of all those folks so dear to you. He reached for her webbed fingers and kissed them. And no, she answered him again, anticipating his second question, you will live on many years, building and rebirthing your people. But always, in the corner of your heart, will be the sadness of now. The loss of the past is the pain of birthing the future. Again, he took her fingers and kissed them. And yes, she answered him at last. Yes, I will be here to walk with you when you return to the ford, to pass over between the worlds and finally come home. He sat up then, took both her hands and kissed them. But I know now that you will not take me home, mother, not until I finish my job. She smiled back at him, knowing that now, at last, he knew what he must do. Peace for him was not oblivion, but restoring, rebuilding and rebirthing, for only so would he come to learn the purpose of the losses and the pain he had suffered. He dressed. She got up and went back to the shirt left hanging over the stone in the ford. This is your shirt, she told him. But it will not come clean for many years yet. I will leave it here, on the rock, until those years are spent. Only then will you need it to pass over the water to the other bank. He watched as she shifted, shrinking, shrinking smaller and smaller, until it was a black raven who stood upon the stone its claws digging through the cloth of the shirt into the stone beneath, so he could feel the pain, the pain of them in his own breast. Remember, she called him as she leapt from the stone into the sky. He watched the black bird rise on the currents, rise and spin and tumble in her joy, carking with laughter as she swooped over his head to pull out a strand of hair with her beak. He laughed as she dropped him a feather out of the sky in exchange and pushed it behind his ear. The raven of death had called him back to life. And that's my story, my story of the washer of the ford, the raven goddess. She lives with us all in the Celtic lands in Britain, Wales, Scotland, Ireland and Brittany. This story comes a bit out of the old Arthurian tales and it's about my thoughts on what might have happened after he rejected Guinevere when she went with his best friend. How he lost all he had gained, sitting in idleness, lost of all purpose that finally he gathered himself back together to win the Battle of Camlan and to go into the West until we need him again. There are many stories of our heroes who don't die but go into the Isles of the West. The stories all say they will come again when their people need them. I live in the middle of another of these stories right here, right now, in Shropshire. 
the story of Wild Edric. Who knows? Maybe they will come. The way our world is now, we could surely use them. I hope you enjoyed the story, and it was great having you here listening. But that's it for this week, so I'll see you all again next week. Bye for now. Well, thank you for joining our weekly sail on Pea Green Boat. Time to stop now. If you'd like to know more, you can meet me at www.ellensentier.com. And I'm on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn as well. So let's connect. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And thank you so much to Wahoo Media who produced this podcast for me. See you next week. Bye for now.